Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Rabbi shrahli sadri wa yassirli amri wa ahlul uqtatan bil lisani yafqahu qawli. All praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and peace and salutations be upon the final messenger Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I bear witness that there's no one worthy of worship besides one Allah and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger. Uh, brothers and sisters in Islam, Salamullahi alaykum wa rahmatuhu wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon you all. Uh, welcome everyone to Madinat Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yeah, please come in. Uh, come in. I think some of you should sit on the, uh, on the at least our, our elderly uncle, at least, and make space for the young generation. Barakallahu huh? feek. Uh, welcome to the city of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Uh, and uh, the city of Masjidun Nabawi, the Masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and we spoke about this on our way uh, into uh, Medina. Um, our last lesson was about the relationship of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, or, the, or, or, or uh, we spoke about the point in the seerah whereby the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was with Halima. That was in terms of our last sit-in lesson. Uh, then we had. Uh, the ziyara lesson and we uh, discuss lessons around Mount Thor and uh, how it teaches us uh, the importance of tawakkul, the importance of, stu- uh, of, of uh, running due diligence before we do anything, then uh, planning our strategy and then uh, executing the strategy excellently. Um, we also spoke about the great friendship between the Prophet wasallam and Abu Bakr and the great love that Abu Bakr had for the Prophet wasallam. Uh, and we also um, then discussed rahmatullah. We also uh, then discussed uh, lessons pertaining to uh, the final Hajj of the Prophet wasallam, and, and in particular the final sermon when we visited Arafah. Uh, and then we discussed lessons pertaining to the first revelation when we visited uh, Jabal Nur and touched upon the importance of effort in terms of development and practicing this religion and also the importance of having those cave days because the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Islam was protected uh, in, 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 in the cave of Thor during the Hijrah we know the Quraysh they wanted to capture him and also uh, before that uh, his guidance was protected when he uh, went to the cave of Hira uh, then we also conducted uh, lessons on our way to Medina, alhamdulillah, we spoke about uh, the morning and evening adhkar and uh, some uh, deductions from some of the meanings of this adhkar and the importance of this adhkar in our lives. Uh, we also spoke about the etiquettes of eating and drinking. Uh, we spoke about some of the virtues of Medina and we discussed some reflections about leaving Mecca to Medina and the statement of the Prophet wasallam when he said, if it wasn't for your people, I would not have left you and how he yearned uh, for Mecca uh, after his uh, arrival uh, to Medina and how he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make Medina a haram like how he made uh, Mecca a haram uh, for Ibrahim alayhi salam. Today brothers and sisters in Islam, uh, I want to uh, move our blast from the past uh, discussion to the Medina phase, right? Since we are in Medina, it's most appropriate that we discuss uh, this Medina phase. And when we discuss this Medina phase, we cannot um, uh, we cannot turn a, we cannot give a blind eye 
to the concept of the hijrah, right? Uh, so I want to go back to that because w obviously we didn't do a hijrah, but in effect we moved from Mecca to Medina yesterday and touched upon it. Because this hijrah, uh, we said it's the mightiest migration ever. And uh, testimony to it being the mightiest migration uh, ever is the fact that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in they chose for uh, Islam in terms of the Islamic calendar they chose for the Islamic calendar this hijrah to be uh, to be a reference right they chose um, the hijrah to be a reference in terms of the Muslim calendar and I'll come back I'll, I'll come back to that just now in terms of how this calendar came about uh, the, the, the Hijrah calendar. But in terms of the Prophet وسلم, coming into Medina, then uh, it is said, and I'm going to summarize, that the Prophet وسلم, rode through the streets of the city and people approached him in crowds as he came into Medina. And obviously they were waiting for the Prophet وسلم, because they had news of his departure. But obviously he had a strategic departure, which means his, his journey was longer than the rest who made the journey to Medina. So they were waiting for the Prophet وسلم, in crowds, they would go out and they actually uh, didn't just want to go out to, you know, for the sake of uh, getting that selfie. Huh? <laughs> we, we, you know, uh, just, just, just to have a moment, but it was done out of true love, sincere love and a will for the Prophet وسلم, to stay in their home. This is what they wanted. So everyone was going out because they had this will for the Prophet وسلم, to live in their, in their home. They wanted to accommodate him because they knew that he's coming here, he's migrated, he's left his home, he's a visitor here. So everyone's home has equal opportunity to receiving this man. And remember, Medina became Muslim before the Prophet وسلم, arrived. Because Medina became Muslim upon the hands after Allah of who? Of Mus'ab ibn Umayr And again this was amazing strategy from the Prophet that the Prophet وسلم, when uh, in drips and drabs people started accepting Islam from Medina uh, through the da'wah of the Prophet وسلم, during the Hajj and, 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 and uh, through other means they requested a teacher to come and teach them because they were a Muslim minority in Medina as well at the time. So it was a Muslim minority and another Muslim minority. And the Prophet ﷺ had Abu Bakr, he had Umar, he had senior companions, but he chose to send Mus'ab ibn Umayr, the first ambassador of Islam. Right? And the first Imam of Salatul Jumu'ah, many people don't know this, the first Imam of Salatul Jumu'ah was Mus'ab ibn Umayr. Because in Medina they had a congregation and, and an environment to observe the Jumu'ah. Right? And that's why some of the scholars, they developed a fiqh precedence from the story of the Jumu'ah of Musab ibn Umair by saying that 40 people have to be the minimum for Jumu'ah to take place because when Musab ibn Umair did the Jumu'ah he had 40 Muslims with him. So Medina became Muslim before the arrival of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this was, a, this was a, a proper welcoming. These were people who valued the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And Medina was inhabited by the Aws and the Khazraj. These were the two major denominations in Medina and yes they were surrounded by the Jews who came and settled in Medina because of their knowledge from their scriptures that the Prophet to come would come from this region. So they came to settle in the region because they, they, they sincerely thought that the next Prophet would be from their uh, heritage. Right? So this so they had some Jews settled around Yathrib at the time, that's what it was called. And then you had the Aws and the Khazraj. Now the Aws and the Khazraj were at war with each other for a long time 
And because of this, many of the seniors of the Aus and the Khazraj Khazr has passed away. And when the young generation then came to be, and it was their time to act, uh, after a time they felt that this war business is, is not conducive. We've lost our elders, it's not conducive to our females, it's not conducive to the family, it's not conducive to the development of the tribe and development of the city and so on and so forth. They decided to make peace with each other. So this was a younger group of people in control. Musab ibn Umair was from the young companions. Musab ibn Umair grew up in a home of financial standing and material well-being. He had the, you know, the latest slippers from Yemen, where he wore the latest cloth from, uh, from Sham. Probably like today, someone has got the latest mobile, the latest tablet, the latest deodorant that comes out, and so on and so forth. He was spoiled. He was from a rich family and spoiled. He was, he, he, he was the beloved son to his parents. Right? So he knew how to interact at a particular level with a particular age group. Right? And the Ansar were not necessarily poor. And we know that Medina was, was rich with date trees and, and so on and so forth. And there was trade in Medina was a city unlike Mecca. Mecca was a valley. And Mecca had the Kaaba and traders coming in. Medina was, was a city. And uh, it, it had a culture different to Mecca. And perhaps the best person to move to Medina and manage the situation in terms of appreciating the norms of the people, the way they think, what works, what doesn't work. This is da'wah, right? You've got to be wise. Now you send someone with an old school of thought, someone who's a bit too rigid in terms of appreciating uh, new dynamics, it's not going to work out. So strategically, the Prophet ﷺ chose Mus'ab ibn Ubayr. And you should read about him because he was a mighty sahabi. Because when he accepted Islam, and Mus'ab ibn Umayr was, uh, he, he was given a ticket to come into Darul Nadwa as a young person to observe the work of the seniors of the, of the Quraysh. Because they expected him to be a person who would have take a prominent seat, given the family we, that he came from. Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu also was seen as a prominent individual. He was given that space. right? But even though all this was happening, he had a heart that was ready for guidance and an independent mind that he saw what these adults are discussing and what they're saying about Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But how can this man who yesterday was loved today be hated and he decided to investigate it for himself. And one day he snuck up to um, uh, to um, the place where the Muslims uh, used to gather. The name uh, slips me. Where they used to gather I think it's, it was near Mount Safa, where they secretly used to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would teach them new revelation. And as he gets in, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam touches his chest and greets him in a, in a beloved manner, in such an inviting manner that he felt that this is the religion and he secretly accepted Islam. And he, became, he was a Muslim in secret for a long time because he knew his, 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 his mother was very powerful. She hated the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So to avoid conflict, he kept it a secret until one day someone snuck behind him and followed his movements and saw that he's doing movements in praying, he's doing movements like the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and as a result he was chained to his home and he was stripped of all his belongings from the rich of the rich to the poor of the poor and then when, when, when Allah blessed him to escape and have his freedom he was sent to Medina and uh, because of him uh, after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Medina turns into Islam overnight. Droves, families, uh, uh, droves of people are accepting Islam. And there's a long story. Uh, that there's uh, additional points to it uh, because he did go through some tests similar to the test of the Prophet wasallam, in which his assassination was plotted as well and how he handled it. And because of that, the person who came to uh, assassinate him from the seniors of, 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 of the Ansar uh, was ready to assassinate him. And he went back. Remember, uh, 
the, the story of Umar and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and how Umar was ready to assassinate and he comes back to the people that he left saying I'm going to kill the messenger saying I've accepted Islam. Uh, a similar story with Mus'ab because uh, from the heads of the Ansar who visited him with the intention of, of assassinating him assassinating him, visited him and returned back and when the rest saw him and they said why do we see you relaxed? Perhaps you did that which caused you stress uh, you, you did that to solve the stress that was uh, affecting you before you left us and he says I've accepted Islam and then uh, Medina became a Muslim city so these are people who never saw the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam we're talking about the majority of the masses in Medina but they love him subhanallah like how we love the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam they valued their iman they valued their Islam right because they appreciated the war that uh, engulfed them uh, wa rahmatullah they appreciated the war that engulfed them and how they, how they, how, how, uh, you know, they needed a new system to govern them. And Islam looked like the system. And they needed a mentor. And the messenger looked like the mentor. And things are looking right. And the message seems right. And there's a balance between the spiritual aspect and the physical aspect and the mental aspect. And yes, all these entities are experiencing development. So naturally, they had Mus'ab. But they were having this, this happiness to receive the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So they are waiting. They want him when he comes. We want him to come stay with us because this is the khair he's brought to the land. And uh, as the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam entered, they were saying, "Live with us and enjoy our wealth and our honor and our protection." And they started taking hold of the camel's uh, reins. And uh, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said to one, and he said to all, in a nice way, in a gentle way, let her go her way. For she is guided by Allah. Right? So, and there's, there's lessons from this, but perhaps we'll come to it, inshallah. Now, the Prophet ﷺ did this. And as he was going through the locality of Bani Najjar, the slave girls of the clan used to were shouting out verses to say, We the daughters of Bani Najjar, and what luck, Muhammad is our neighbor. So, alright, we can't have him in our home, but he's our neighbor. This is, this is, uh, this is amazing. I, I want you to appreciate the excitement that, 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 that Medina felt with the coming of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And upon reaching the house of Bani Malik ibn Najjar, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's camel knelt by herself with the permission of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And that is now where, uh, well, uh, where the camel uh, knelt, that became the gate of Masjid al-Nabi. And with regards to the place that it uh, knelt, then it was a place used for drying dates. And the place belonged to two orphan boys who were known as Sahal and Suhail. And they were living with As'ad ibn Zurara. Uh, uh, and you must read about As'ad, because As'ad ibn Zurara, he was the one who welcomed Mus'ab ibn Umayr and was very important to the progress of the, the, the strategy of Mus'ab ibn Umayr, radiallahu uh, when he came to uh, Medina. So, um, the messenger, obviously now this land belonged to them, they're orphans from an Islamic perspective. The messenger is taught by Allah, this land, has people who have a right over it. But they were happy to give it to the Messenger wasallam. This is the level of excitement that orphans were willing to give up their wealth. Right? But the Prophet wasallam refused uh, their gift, uh, obviously politely, and he told Abu Bakr to take our 10 gold coins and give it to them for the land. Right? This masjid is waqf for Abu Bakr. Can you imagine? Subhanallah. We can deduce this. Allahu A'lam, I haven't come uh, across the point in the seerah where he said that he, the money was given back to him. And this wasn't the style of Abu Bakr, right? He was freeing slaves in Mecca with his wealth happily, overpaying the price. 
for the sake of freeing them because they were being persecuted for saying La ilaha illallah. So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, this this is the friendship. They came on the hijrah together. You have ten gold coins, take it out, give it to him. This is for the land. Now this land had some of the mushrikeen buried undate. Their graves were dug up. They were removed. They were uh, relocated. And then the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam now had ownership uh, of uh, the land. And uh, then obviously the next processes of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam began to take uh, shape. Now. Obviously, when the Prophet ﷺ came, the masjid wasn't built and his quarters weren't built. So he had to uh, reside somewhere. Now, what's important for us to note regarding this masjid is that the Prophet ﷺ worked towards its construction before his own home. And he lived in the home of somebody else. This is what he did ﷺ. And with regards to this masjid, then the Prophet ﷺ, he struck the foundation first. Meaning he was part and parcel of the labor of this project. He wasn't sitting back, you know, that uh, so I'm the messenger, right? So here's the delegation, right? He, this teaches you that he was a leader from the front and the back. Today we talk about leading from the front, leading from the back. I don't want to go into the lessons yet. I want to get to the story. Subhanallah, our time will finish before we get to the lessons. This is too many lessons. You can't remember them all. But today, we, we learn uh, for those in the corporate world or those reading uh, development uh, books, you, you, they do speak about this leader from the front, leader from the back. The Prophet ﷺ, he was excellent leader from the front and the back. He was the complete, ultimate leader. He struck Masjid al-Nabawi's uh, foundation himself. And it is said that um, by striking a pickaxe into the foundation, he created a hole which was three arm lengths deep. One strike. That was a powerful man. Sallallahu alayhi wa Alright? At the end of his life, when he was having the fever before his death, and the Sahabi said to him, I think it was Ibn Mas'ud, radiallahu anhu, said to him that you've been afflicted by fever. He said that the fever of me is equivalent to the fever of, of, of two of you. Subhanallah. Right? He was a mighty man. Sallallahu alayhi wa And he, along with the Muhajirun and the Ansar, they built the masjid together. This is what they did uh, with regards to this masjid. So uh, the original masjid was, the bricks were placed with the blessed hands of the Prophet And then the mighty hands of the Sahaba. And the Prophet never left them to do it. He never let them work whilst he rested. Right? And uh, obviously the Muhajirun and Ansar, they didn't want him to be doing this. This was their love for him. This was their respect for him. Oh, don't worry, we'll do it. But the Prophet understood that uh, the ajab is there in doing it and this is his teaching as he's a teacher to the ummah everything he does everything he says everything he doesn't do this will be taken as a sunnah this will be taken as a lesson so he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam participated uh, in this in fact just touching on this we'll go to Masjid Quba on uh, Saturday inshallah and it is said that the first brick of Masjid Quba was placed by the blessed hands of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as well in terms of the masjid, it was described to be 30 meters uh, in width and 35 meters in length. You can imagine. We were speaking yesterday about how small Medina was at the time of the Prophet <coughs> in comparison to Medina today. So now we're looking at the size of the masjid now. You imagine in your mind 30 meters in width versus 35 meters in length. With the northern part of the masjid having shade. So the whole masjid wasn't covered in shade. Only the northern part. Why? Because that's where the imam would stand and the rose behind him, 
and he never needed covering till the back because there were few Muslims and they were facing Aqsa at the time but then the Qibla changed which means the covered part of the masjid now was at the back of the masjid because uh, we know Sham is towards the uh, towards the north so, so the covering was placed on the northern part of the masjid but Mecca is where? in terms of Medina yeah. Yeah. it's south, opposite direction so what happened was now the Imam was reading in the place where there's no cover and the Sufuf would be behind SubhanAllah that's how, they, that's how the Salah was read and we're in the desert there's desert heat right? they were praying under the sun they were lucky they were lucky they were lucky they were praying in the sun after the change of the Qibla Today when we go for Jumu'ah, when we go to the Haram, we look from the other, they got umbrellas here, right? Uh, the other, once I saw a picture online, where in Masjid, in Masjid al-Haram in Mecca, they were lined up at the top, in the shape of a minara. The shape of the minara, why? Because the sun hit the minara, and that's the shade that was on the grass. Everyone was sitting, and all, they didn't realize that that sitting was the exact shape of the minara. And someone took a picture from, from above. So, we look for the shade. There was no shade. They're eating Zuhr. They're reading Asr, right? And we can understand some wisdoms when we look in the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam delaying dhuhr until it cooled down a bit. Slight delay, but that mattered. That slight delay was 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 big in terms of the effort that needed to be applied to observe that salah. So what happened to the back of the masjid now, which had the covering? That became the home of. Uh, that became the place where the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam met uh, delegations, and it became the home of Ahlul Sufa. Ahlul Sufa were the poor people from the Sahaba that didn't have a home to be. And this brings me to the next thing that the Prophet ﷺ did. Because when the Prophet ﷺ came to, um, uh, came to uh, Medina, he did three very important things. And when we talk about establishing anything, then we should take note of these three things. Because this was the first Muslim country. Medina was the first Muslim country. So now we're looking at Muslim internal and external affairs. Right? We talk about the interior ministry, the exterior ministry, right? Today, we talk about the ministry of media and information and culture and so on and so forth. So we got to zoom into what did the Prophet wasallam do? Because indeed, these are the steps for any success. What's the first thing he did? Build the masjid. Subhanallah. The masjid is a fundamental place for the development of any Islamic Muslim civilization. And we're not talking about fancy buildings or chandeliers from this country and carpet from that country and everything purpose made. We'll make it a tourist attraction. We're talking about a masjid in every town. This masjid was 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 uh, was a simple masjid. It didn't even have a roof in completion, right? But that's the first thing he did, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, before building his own home. Why? If the heart's not right, nothing's going to be right. And the masjid is the place where you fix the heart. It's that salah in congregation, which is going to bring together the community and create the unity and bring everyone on the same page, right? Right. And, and, and pro pro provide an environment for people to develop themselves. You know, whoever has a certain character that, that's not conducive is going to learn about it in this environment, the place where we meet five times a day. Right? So the first thing he did was build the masjid. The next thing he did, social welfare. There were few Muslims who were the muhajirun. So the Prophet ﷺ made them a brother to someone from the Ansar. And this real brotherhood took place where they were made real brothers to each other. So the Ansari, who had the home, who had financial standing, material well-being, took his brother from the Muhajirun, who left his home and his wealth and everything in, in, in Mecca for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which was usurped by the Quraysh. So he had nothing. Took him as his brother. And they valued this brotherhood so powerfully that from them were those who said that I have 
two lands, which is my property. Choose which one you want, it will be yours. To the extent where he would say, I have two wives, choose which one, I will divorce the one for you. They wanted to share everything. This was the, the love that the, the family of Medina had for their brothers and sisters who came from uh, came from Mecca, subhanAllah. Make you appreciate the, the, the family of Medina, the tribes who ex that exist today, that go back to uh, the, the, the time of the Prophet wasallam. This is the place where we are. These were the people, subhanAllah. Beautiful akhlaq, beautiful hearts. They were selfless. And Allah praises them in Surah Al-Hashr. Praises them for being rich after praising the Buhajirun for being poor. And I, I think it's ayah number 8 and ayah number 9, Surah Al-Hashr. Allah praises the Muhajirun for being poor. Why they were poor? For the sake of Allah. It wasn't that they were poor because they were sitting around doing nothing. But because they said, La ilaha illallah, they were attacked from all angles and lost their wealth. And then He praises the Ansar for being rich. Why? Because they had their money in their hands, not in their heart. They only had Allah in the heart. Everything was expendable if it pleased Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the reality, brothers and sisters, that money is not a blessing or a curse in and of itself. It depends how you earn it and how you spend it. And where you place it. You might earn it in a halal way, place it in the heart, which is the wrong place for it, becomes a test for you. You might earn it in a haram way, it's a test from the beginning. You might earn it in a halal way, place it in the right place, but spend it in the wrong way, becomes a test for you again. Right? So, uh, we shouldn't be teaching our kids to be poor. No, we should teach them to be rich. But have their money in their hands and not in their hearts. Use it for the sake of Allah like Abu Bakr was. <coughs> Abdurrahman ibn Auf. There's nothing that he touched except that he turned to gold after the Prophet ﷺ made dua for him. This Abdurrahman ibn Auf, his brother from the Ansar, said this, choose the land. He goes, thank you very much, just point me to the marketplace. <laughs> we didn't live in Mecca putting our hands out getting money. We're not going to be doing that now. He goes to the marketplace. Whatever he has, he buys, he turns it, he turns it, he turns it. All of a sudden he's married. He comes to the Prophet ﷺ with a mark on his clothes. Mark of Ita. The Prophet says, what's this? Look, that was seen as something big. He goes, oh, I got married. The Prophet blessed his trade and said, you are walimah, even if it was one sheep. That's where the thick ruling comes from, huh? the walimah. Subhanallah. Awlim walaw bisha. This is what he said to him. So, this was the Sahaba radiallahu anhu ajma'in. We were in the home of the Muhajirun, and now we're in the home of the Ansar. And remember we said, we're not here for the pictures and for take the pictures no problem don't get me wrong but I highlighted that your trip back home cannot be something where you flick on your pictures on the uh, on your gallery flick we were here and it was nice and it felt like this and it felt like this no brothers and sisters in Islam this is a journey of the hearts before it's a journey of the bodies what are you going to do to change now you're going to have your cave day you got to start thinking that these are the ideals that I, I was taught about in this trip from the best of role models where am I from these ideals? You've got to start jotting that down. you got to be... And remember we spoke about calling a spade, eh? A spade, not a big spoon. Remember that? Don't start cheating yourself. You know, right? I know, you know, sometimes I shout when I shouldn't. But you know, it's their fault because they make me... No, 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 no. Don't, don't call a spade a spade. If that's what you... If you lose your temper too quickly, you've got to fix it. If the money's in the heart, fix it. If the attachment is there, fix it. If the tawakkul is not there, fix it. You, gotta, you, know, you don't go to the doctor before you accept that you're sick. The first step towards development is accepting that you have a problem. Does that make sense? Right? Then you strategize and then you execute. The due diligence has to take place. So in terms of the masjid, 
the Ahlul Sufa, as Islam grew, there were no more, there were no more families from the Ansar for the Prophet sallallahu to give a brother to from the Muhajirun. So the Prophet sallallahu made them live in, in Masjid al-Nabawi. Masjid al-Nabawi, as we said, the Prophet sallallahu made delegations. So it means it was the Ministry of Interior. From here, the Prophet sallallahu gave khutbas, which means it was the Ministry of Information. <laughs> right? It was your satellite station, it was your radio station, this is where the Prophet ﷺ addressed everything. Masjid al-Nabawi was the place where they met to, to, to work out the strategy for the battles. So it was the Ministry of Defense. The Masjid, Ministry of Defense. Ahlul Sufa, the Prophet ﷺ schooled them. Abu Hurairah, the greatest muhaddith ever. He's a graduate from the Masjid al-Nabawi school. He was living with Ahlul Sufa and the Prophet ﷺ taught him there. So, Masjid al-Nabawi, Ministry of Education. Subhanallah. Want me to go on? Or you get the idea? After Uhud, where were they being treated? By Masjid al-Nabawi. Masjid al-Nabawi, Ministry of Health. Subhanallah. Where are we from the Masjid? And where are those who run Masjids today from running the Masjid as it should be run? Treat the Masjid for some place to come pray five times salah. Nothing is allowed. Nothing is allowed. Children are not even allowed. The children are afraid of the masjid. This is not how it should be. If you want to develop your children, you develop them from the masjid. You make them love the masjid, want to be in the masjid. And you teach them what the masjid is. Because the day they decide that they want to build something great, they've got to realize, I've got to go start with the masjid. By having a love in my heart to be there. You can't build it, at least love your time to be there. It shouldn't be that we're the last person in and the first person out. Right? Some people, mashallah, they clock the time, stopwatch. Let's see who got out first. Allahumma sta'ad, when the angels are making dua for you as long as you sat there after that salah. Right? So the masjid is the masjid, and this is where it all happened. They would visit people that they didn't see in the jama'ah because they knew something's wrong with him. Probably not well today, he didn't come. So all these things took place in the masjid, brothers and sisters in Islam. This is the reality of the masjid that we are in. In any case, um, this is a, a brief introduction to. Um, uh, uh, masjid al-Nabawi. So we said the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam built the masjid, and then he did social welfare. What's the third? What's the third thing that he uh, he did as one of the first actions after coming to Medina? He took care of international relations. We can call that international relations today. How? By signing security deals with the Jews that were around Medina, the three tribes of the Jews. Right. Uh, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Uh, put into effect treaties right <coughs> which was based on security so he secured Medina he secured Medina and that's why during the battle of, of the trench the Prophet never dug the trench by the side he never worried about the place where Banu Qurayza was because he says we have them we have a treaty with them they won't allow uh, the, 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 the enemy in from there but we've got to deal with these areas and that's where they dug the trench but, though, but Banu Qurayza, they breached contract because Allah taught the Messenger وسلم, of their behavior and what they were planning to do. Right? And thus the Prophet ﷺ, after Allah got rid of the Ahzab, when the big winds came, the first thing he said afterwards is La And no one should read Salat al-Asr until you reach Banu Qurayza. Done. They broke the treaty, we're going for them now. So what happened?
have to reap the consequences of their actions. Right? And the difference of opinion happened between the Sahaba. Because as they were going, the sun started setting. So some said, we have to pray Asr before Maghrib comes. The other group says, no. The Prophet sallallahu said, no Asr until you reach. Today Asr is when we reach. The other said, no. He said that, but he meant go quickly. That's what he meant. You see difference of opinion through understanding of the prophetic text? So some prayed, some didn't pray. When they met the Prophet and put their case forward, he says both were correct. Because the intention was to follow the Sunnah. And it was a valid difference of opinion. It's a valid uh, difference in terms of understanding the instruction. Although he alluded to those who put context into play as more correct. Right? That those who prayed, because he meant he wanted from them to rush, that's what he meant. Right? Um, and thus today we have madhahib. As long as the difference of opinion is Ali, it's valid, it's legitimate, this is not something to frown upon. This is from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon the ummah. But yes, we have cases where we say the khilaf is nazim. We say the khilaf, the difference of opinion, is, 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 is irrelevant because the evidences are, are, are strongly allude. Strongly allude to one opinion as opposed to the other. In this case, we don't follow uh, the weaker direction just because we want to support a particular scholar, or we want to support a particular way. In this case, we don't do that. We follow the evidence. And for those scholars who big up uh, their position, I'm using a bit of slang here, given the audience I have, when the evidences strongly uh, support uh, a, 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 the opposing ruling, then this is from following your desires, like we see today. Huh? This fatwa coming out about Valentine's Day. Uh, being halal these, these, these are fatwas which we can't say are difference of opinion and make things easy for the ummah and let the brothers buy the sisters roses what are you talking about right this is not a fatwa that, that, that needs that deserves uh, defense it's batil it's false in light of the evidence from the Prophet sallallahu in light of the objectives of the sharia the objectives of fiqh do you think fiqh wants to make you an ummah wasting your money on roses how are we going to uplift the ummah do you think fiqh is, go is going to create beneficial homes by making you have a relationship with someone one day in the year? A fiqh is telling you to buy roses every day, no problem. <laughs> right? It's not telling you to, 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 uh, you know, uh, to give business to, to, to the rose sellers on one particular day. And never mind that, Valentine's Day is not a day promoting being good to your wife. It's, being, it's promoting relationships of any nature. And one doctor told me that the most cases of females seeking after uh, 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 after intercourse purples in, in a place that he works in is on the 15th of February and in the place in, 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 in the place that he works in I'm trying to keep the language kosher as well huh? uh, in the place that he works in he says that the biggest rate of baby dumping happens eight to 11 months after the 14th of February. So you tell me what khair there is in coming and telling us that this fatwa is, uh, telling me that this fatwa is now from the mercy of Allah and the ummah. No, this is bad, this is khilaf nazir, it doesn't uh, deserve our attention. But the point I'm trying to make is, not every difference of opinion should be frowned upon where we say what's happening, the Prophet was one, the Quran was one, how come we have these different madhahib? The Sahaba listened to him and took different understandings. And, uh, uh, nothing which formulates the major fundamental parts of the religion do we have difference of opinion and nobody will have a difference of opinion that Salat al-Maghrib is three and that there's five times to pray in a day and that zakah is 2.5% of your assets when it comes to the certain types of commodities and so on and so forth the fundamental parts of the religion are, are, are set alright now very quickly before we end 
And in terms of what we started with talking about how this hijrah is fundamental in terms of the calendar, then this particular calendar was form formalized by Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, which means there was no Islamic calendar. Uh, there, were, there, there were ways of working out dates. And as we told you about when we discussed the, 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 the episode of the elephant and uh, how they would use major occurrences, right? To describe things. But what happened once is that at the time of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, a person had a dispute with another person in terms of a contract. And they came to Umar saying that uh, this person owes me money and we agreed he'd pay me in Sha'ban. So Umar said, which Sha'ban? This year, last year, next year, what's going on? So it was decided that we need to, we need to, have a, uh, we need to come up with a system to avoid this type of conflict. And this system was reached upon a unanimous decision with the Sahaba, because Umar, he would gather the Muhajirun and the Ansar. And it is said that he wouldn't even allow them to settle outside of Medina during his reign. They started traveling after he passed away. Ibn Abbas settled in Mecca, uh, uh, Ibn Mas'ud and Ali radiallahu an, uh, then uh, moved to, to, uh, to Iraq, uh, and others moved to other places. Of course, those who were governors, etc., that Umar sent out as the Islamic uh, Caliphate expanded, that's a different story. But generally, he wouldn't allow them to leave Medina. He wanted them there, and things would happen. He would call the Muhajirun, and he would call the Ansar. And he would sit down and do Shura. And from the Shura was this matter pertaining to the Islamic date. And in the 16th year after Hijrah, in the 16th year after Hijrah, uh, some say it was the 17th, some say it was the 18th, but it was during Umar's Caliphate, they agreed to make the Islamic calendar begin with the year of the Hijrah. Right? Now, it could have been done based on the death of the Prophet ﷺ, but some of the shura was, we don't want this because the death of the Prophet ﷺ makes us sad. We don't have a recurring thing for us to remember that. Right? So they went with the Hijrah, especially since it marked the beginning of the Muslim country. It marked the beginning of Islam's true spread. Because it was Medina, and the reality of Medina, that Islam has reached the four parts of the world. Yes, Medina is Medina because of Mecca. But when we talk about quantum movement in terms of the deen, and the Muslims now no more being a minority, them being recognized as a country uh, in and of the itself, uh, this happened with the Hijrah. So the Hijrah was that fundamental point. One of the suggestions was uh, use, for example, the Byzantine calendar, because that was a civilization that had a calendar. Some said use the Persian calendar. We spoke about this. There was two civilizations. The Persians had the calendar, but they didn't like that because the Prophet ﷺ naturally nurtured them not to love following the way of other, uh, the way uh, or, or ways that were known to be ways of the disbelievers. That if you did this, it was associated with that disbelief. That's what the Prophet ﷺ did. And especially when they came to Medina, because there was, they were, obviously the Jews were around, the Prophet ﷺ would tell them to do things differently. When they fasted the uh, Ashura, he says, we'll do them a day before or a day after. He said, if I live till next year, I will do the ninth. If they remained silent and spoke, we would speak when, uh, sorry, and ate, we would speak and eat. And so on and so forth. Grow the beard, shorten the mustache. Hmm? He was nurturing us to have our identity. And the calendar is an important matter. So having the Muslim calendar was, was conducive in terms of creating the Islamic country identity, the Islamic caliphate identity. So all these sort of opinions were shunned and they went ahead with uh, the calendar based on 
the Hijrah, and obviously Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, he is the Amir, he makes the final decision, and he did so, and it was uh, agreed, uh, alhamdulillah. Now, why does the Muslim calendar start with Muharram? Right? Why not Rabiul Awwal? Because Rabiul Awwal, uh, Rabiul Awwal was when the final stages of the of the Hijrah took place. When, when did the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam arrive in Medina? You think it's plausible that it starts with Rabiul Awwal? It's based on the Hijrah. Hey, when was his arrival? The scholars of Islam say that they decided to make Muharram the first month of the Muslim year because it was in Muharram that the idea of the Hijrah began to take momentum. That we're shifting now. 13 years of persecution in Mecca is enough, is enough. And Muharram obviously uh, is home to that momentum of the idea. Why? Because uh, in Dhul Hijjah, which is the month before Muharram, Dhul Hijjah, uh, in Dhul Hijjah we have the oath of allegiance, the bay'ah, uh, taking uh, place. So this was a precursor, this, is, this was the precursor to the Hijrah. That there was this pledge of allegiance done with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that if you come, we will protect you and so on and so forth, right? And that we talk about you know them not being a civilization and so on and so forth. But these were people; they were men of their word. Today we don't have men of the word; we men of the pen on the signature because the judge will see the signature, isn't it? And then you don't have a choice. But they were men of words. They were men of their words. And that's why when we talk about fiqh, when does the trade take place? They say, when the buyer, when the seller says, I'm, when the buyer says, I want to buy this from you for this much, and the seller says, I agree, done, the trade's done. They were men of their words. These were men. These were men. And when it was done, when the Prophet wasallam came for the secret meeting, his uncle Address the Ansar and says, understand what you're getting into. <coughs> you take this man, you're putting your wives in danger. You take this man, you're putting your wealth in danger. You take this man, you're putting your children in danger. Understand what you're getting yourself into. We've protected him here all along. But the people that are after him, they don't play games. Understand what you're doing. You are signing your wives, your children, your wealth. <laughs> huh? You are signing it over because he will not be left. And someone from the Ansar, I don't have the exact details, so I'm not going to mention names uh, out of, uh, even if I think it's right, because then it gets recorded and sent out. We don't want to uh, create unnecessary editing, rather be sure. Uh, someone from the Ansar spoke out and said, have you finished speaking? For it's our time to speak now. Wallahi, when you read these parts of the seerah, you wish you were a fly in the wall watching this. Huh? This was the conversation of men. Today the conversation of men is, so where do you want to eat? Hmm? What do you think? And one brother says, anywhere. I don't mind whilst he's typing on his phone, not even paying attention. Say, Khalas, we're going for Chinese. No, 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 not Chinese. Say, Tayyip, just now you said I'll go anyway. He says, yeah, yeah, but, but not Chinese. Tayyip, you said anything. He goes, yeah, anything, but not Chinese. I don't know what I want, but I know what I don't want. Huh? <laughs> so this is the conversation of men today, Allah al-Musta'an. No, back in the day, they knew what they didn't want and they knew what they wanted. This is the conversation of men. We need to nurture our children, brothers and sisters in Islam. And that's why I'm saying this Valentine's fatwa and halaliween. The other day, some, no, a while ago, someone sends me a Halloween is halal. is halaliween fatwa. Huh? Now this is what we do. This is the conversation of some men today. Allah al-Musta'an. And how are we going to develop the ummah teaching our children to trick and treat? Let's be honest. Even if we found some way of making this a halal, uh, making the hukum halal, say that there's nothing wrong in Halloween. Why would you pass a fatwa? Aren't you thinking of the future of the ummah? What are you trying to develop in our youth? 
You're trying to develop more ways for them to waste time? Or do you want to develop ways to get to the masjid? Because that's where civilization truly begins. <coughs> for no uplift the ummah, shouldn't we be going back to the basics before the grave? Rather than looking at concessions, through, uh, twisting the sharia left and right and pulling it here and there, looking for every concession, are you not thinking of the future? You're trying to become popular in the time that you live in. I don't want to go into the intentions. of. I don't know who wrote this. It was a message. Halal, you mean Halloween is halal. Wallahi. Allahu musta'an. Especially someone like me, a graduated judge specialist in fiqh and usul. You can imagine how sick I was to see this. Because fiqh tells you to look at the consequences of your fatwa before you pass the fatwa. And it's not enough to understand it now. You've got to look at what consequences will happen. And based on your understanding and perception of that, which needs research, should you pass the fatwa? Because this religion is all about maslaha and benefit and the creation of benefit, not the creation of any harm. That you pass a fatwa today and you have a decapacitated generation tomorrow. That's not fiqh. That's not fiqh. Prophet wasn't trying to find fatwas to make them stop fasting the ninth next year. <laughs> We're fasting this year, let's make it a bit easy for the people. Huh? He says, no, if I live next year, I'll fast the ninth and the tenth. This is the deen, brothers and sisters in Islam. When you come here and you walk these lands, know that you're walking lands where men walked. And men spoke. These were men who took the Prophet ﷺ and they housed him. And that is why when Badr was going to happen, the Prophet ﷺ was asking, what do you think, what do you think? The Muhajirun are speaking to Ansar are quiet. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ knew that my, the pledge of allegiance is their protection of me when we're in Medina. Now we're not in Medina. And that's why they spoke and said, O oh, Prophet of Allah, it seems like you keep on asking this question because you want our view. And if you want our view, we will tell you that we will not be like the people of Musa, that when they were told to go and fight, they said, you and your Lord go fight, we will remain behind. If you tell us to go, we will tell you that we will go with you. SubhanAllah. This was the religion of men, brothers and sisters in Islam. Giants upon whose shoulders we're trying to walk on today. The people, because of them, after Allah, we are Muslims today, we proudly say, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah, and we come on these trips. Don't forget these emotions, and don't forget these realities. You've got to ask yourself, what dent are you going to leave the day you die? What will the world miss the day you die? Will the world miss you? Will your family miss you, really? Because you created some real value in their life? Or will you be remembered for the guy who breathed Allah's air, and drank his food, and uh, drank his drink, and ate his food, and that's all you are? This is not the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Sit with the names of the Muhajirun and the Ansar and we can have weekend courses based on every individual because each and every one made a dent in their own way. In any case, brothers and sisters in Islam, we will stop today's lesson here. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.